Well, as you can tell from the bumper video, we are in a series on money. Uh, introduced this series last week with a couple disclaimers, and I want to briefly just restate those things as we begin, because I think it's important to, to do this so that you are able to, to hear and be relaxed. And I don't want anything really to kind of stand in the way of what God may have for you to do in his word today. So let me start off by saying uh, we are doing this series partially because I've been wanting to do a series like this. And in staff meeting, I was told that it's kind of tradition here in January. Uh, I think Pastor John used to do uh, stewardship series in January. So this is kind of a tip of the cap to him and, and the tradition that we've had here at Radiant. So not saying we're going to do it every January, but this January we're doing it. Um, but why are we doing this series? First of all, the church is not hurting financially. You guys gave above and beyond last year in the, in the middle of a difficult year. I've said that already. I just want to repeat that. This is not because we're, like, we're hurting and we're saying, oh, no, we have to teach on money because we need your money. It's not what it is. We're teaching on money because we want to transform hearts and lives with God's word for your sake. Second thing is, as a pastor, I do not know what any of you give, so you can relax. And uh, I don't know what anyone gives. I just know that you are a generous church because I see the total number at the, at the end of the month. And it, it's uh, incredibly, uh, well, it kind of blows me away, especially over this past year. And then I wanted to say this, no matter what you give or how you give, you are welcome at Radiant. This is not a uh, a country club with a membership fee. You are welcome here. We love that you're here. And so be rest easy. We good with that? Awesome. So why do a series on money? As I said last week, it would be, it'd be easier for me because people do become uncomfortable with it. But if I avoid the subject of money, which we know Jesus talks about over and over again, our possession and our stuff. If I avoid it, then I'm ultimately being unloving and I'm failing to walk alongside you, which is what shepherds do. They lovingly walk alongside on the journey. So I want you to know what I say here is said in love and that these are ultimately not my thoughts, but they're, it's God's word. I read this quote to you last week, but let me read it again because it sets up where we were last week because what we're doing today builds on last week's message. Listen to this quote. How you handle money reveals volumes about your priorities, loyalties, and affections. In fact, it directly dictates many of the blessings you will or won't experience in life. You can even say that money is a test from God. Last week, the big idea was this, that money is spiritual, and how you handle it reveals your heart. Money is spiritual, and how you handle it reveals your heart. And I recognize there are different people in this, in this congregation, whether it's in person or online, who are at different places when it comes to their finances, there are those of you who have been faithful givers for decades and you've not missed a beat. There are others who are saying, man, I want to grow in this thing because I, I recognize its importance and I recognize how I view my stuff. It says so much about my heart. And there are others who are probably still suspicious, like, come on, preacher, you're trying to just get our money, Right? See, if money is spiritual, which we established last week, then I believe every Christian, no matter where you are on the spectrum, uh, this series is important to us. Once again, I think the only people who get a pass here are those who say they're not Christians because what we're looking at is God's word and how we, in obedience to him and what he has for us, should apply it to our life. So if you're not a Christian, relax, uh, sit back, and just hear the message. Because I think in the message, and I would hope this is true of every message, that you, the good news of the gospel is woven into this message. What we believe to be true is woven into this message. 
we're not coming after your money. We're not even coming after the money of the Christians. Like I said, we're here applying the truth of God's word. And then what happens after that is up to the individuals. <clears throat> Last week, we talked about the principle of the firsts, that the first belongs to God, that uh, uh, we saw that in the Old Testament, there is, you know, God asking for the, the firstborn, the first fruits. From the very beginning uh, in Genesis, we saw this, and we talked about, uh, like, the big idea, money is spiritual. So giving our first fruits shows God that he is number one in our hearts. Like, there is a place that he wants to be, the priority that he wants to be. And I touched on tithing really briefly last week. Do you remember this? I touched on tithing because I simply said that, that tithing is really about giving God our first, I said, don't worry about percentages. Don't worry about old covenant, new covenant. Just, just think of tithing as in giving God our first. We'll develop tithing next week. Well, guess what? Now it's next week. <laughs> giving God, giving to God first. I said, don't worry about 10% or whatever percent. Worry about number one and who's number one. Let that be the Lord. We also talked about how tithing requires faith. If it's not the last 10%, but it's of giving up front, the first 9%, the first 12%, whatever. If it's giving God first, then there is an element of trust that must take place. Tithing says this, God, I recognize you first. I'm putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of the rest of the things in my life. Tithing is important because it's the most tangible way in which we acknowledge God first. But the question still remains, and some of you are like, wait a minute, did he just say 9%? Can you say that? We'll get there. The question still remains, is tithing relevant for the Christian today? Is it required? Should I do it? Now, those are actually two different questions. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew chapter 5. Now, I want you to keep your finger on Matthew chapter 5, because it's going to be a while before we get here and actually read our text today. But it's Matthew chapter 5. And uh, just bear with me, because what I think we should do is actually kind of walk through the Bible. The question of, should, should a Christian today under the New Covenant tithe, or are they required to tithe, really is a question of, what place does the Old Testament have, or the, the, the law have with Christians today? So let me give you the, under the law, tithing under the law, in a nutshell, tithing was a means to honor God with your finances, the God's people, the Israelites, were commanded to bring the best 10% of their finances. Typically, this was their harvest to God. In Leviticus 27.30, we see that the tithe was holy. It was set apart to God. Now, the word that translates to tithe actually means tenth or a tenth part. So rest easy for those of you who are nervous about me saying 9%. It, it, it says it means tenth. In the Old Testament, God's people were required to give a tenth of their income in support of ministry, of the temple, and the needs of the poor. It was like a, a pragmatic thing, but it wasn't purely pragmatic. It wasn't just a way to, to raise funds for the temple. It wasn't just a way to, 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 it wasn't a fundraiser. Really, while it did something like concrete, it was intended to show God and to, to show God's people and to remind God's people of God's place and, their, and, and his priority in their lives. It was done to remind them that God is their provider. It was done uh, with the recognition that everything they have was God's and that they are stewards and not owners. Now when 
in the, in the Old Testament, when we see God's people under, under the Old Covenant not give appropriately, we see that their faith suffered because their faith and their giving were intertwined. I found this quote while I was studying. I'm going to read it to you because I think it's really brilliant and it's going to help us understand our place as Christians. Listen to this. The tithe was just a beginning point. This is speaking of those under the old covenant. The tithe was just a beginning point for their giving, not some budget item that they had to check off in order to be right with God. We think of the law sometimes in terms of like, boom, hit it, boom, hit it, check mark, check mark, check mark. But when we think of the tithe as a, as a tax, as a check mark to be right with God, as a, as a fee to pay for being in right standing with God and making him uh, okay with us, then as Christians, we should push back on this idea because that's saying the law applies to us today and, and we know, and we're going to see in a few moments, that we're not under law. We're under a different relationship, a different covenant with God. But here, what I want to point out in the Old Testament is that we have giving that's connected with their life of faith. Not a tax, at least not intended to be a tax. Now we see later on, we're going to look at it in a moment, how Jesus confronts the Pharisees because to them it was just this check mark and they were meticulous about hitting that check mark. And it missed out on what God really wanted for their life. Now some of us who have heard the the opposition, not the opposition, the, the argument that it's not for Christians today, that there's no requirement. Um, sometimes we weaponize grace. Let me say, you can have that stance and you can kind of be curious and you, want, you could challenge it, sure, because we're going to get there, because I'm with you, but just we'll get there. But don't weaponize grace. I think sometimes we say, well, I'm under grace, I'm not under law, and so therefore we, we automatically throw everything out that's law, and say, well, I'm, in, I'm at grace. But let me ask you this question. If something is, well, let's, let's flip it first. If something is wrong under the law, is it automatically right under grace? The answer is no. Thou shalt not kill. Killing is wrong under the law. It's not automatically right. It's not the opposite, you know, just, oh, therefore, killing is okay under grace. Now, if anything is, if something is right under the law, is it automatically wrong under grace, love the Lord your God with all your heart. What is it? Is it is it wrong? Under grace, absolutely not. It's still right, and that's where I think tithing fits in. Which is saying tithing is not wrong under the new covenant. That's all I want to say. It's not wrong under the new covenant, but I know you're thinking, but is it required, Jerome? Well, let's talk about that. In a few moments, we're going to talk about that, but before we talk about that, I want, to, I want to bring up something that maybe you haven't thought too much about when it comes to tithing. And let me warn you, if you're thinking, but is it required, Jerome, but is it required, Jerome, but is it required, maybe you're asking the wrong question. Because if you're just focused on, is it required, Jerome, is it required, then what you're saying is, I don't want it to be required because it's old law, give me a new law to abide by. Is it required, yes or no? So here it is. We know tithing exists in the law. And we know that tithing exists after the law, which we're going to see in the new covenant. But do you know tithing exists before the law? At least the, the foundations of tithing and then, and then straight up tithing exist 
before the law. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Not exactly tithing, they're not giving of their their work because they weren't working, but God said, hey, you're stewards of all of this. That right there, don't touch it. Everything is mine. And you're stewards to all of this, but not that. Then we talked about Cain and Abel last week. God desiring the first fruits, the best. The, uh, one did well, the other one didn't do so hot. Then Genesis chapter 14, Abraham gives a tenth of his spoils to uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's Eastern European, right? So it's not Eastern European. Anyways. Melchizedek, is a, as we see in, in, in later on in Hebrews, is a representation of of Christ, he gave a tenth to a figure who was a representation of Christ 430 years before the law was instituted. And then his grandson, Jacob, has an encounter with God in Bethel and out of a grateful heart says, I'm giving God a tenth of everything I own 400 years before the law. So I just want to separate a little bit tithing and the law because Tithing is not bound within the law only. Now let's talk about the New Testament. Now let's talk about Christians today. Let's talk about a new covenant after the law. Read with me. Romans chapter 7. Actually, you don't have, you don't have it in front of you because I told you to go to Matthew chapter 5. So keep your finger on Matthew chapter 5 because we're going to dive in there. But let me just set this up. Uh, what we're about to read is passages of Scripture that say that we're no longer under the law. And some of you are like, yes, I knew it. Just wait. Romans chapter 7, verses 4 and 6 says this. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ and now you, you are united with one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. He's establishing that we are dead to the law. We can serve God, not in the old way, but in a new way of living in the Spirit. So Christians, and there's many, many verses. I had a list of like five verses, and I thought, I got to, instead of reading a bunch of verses to you, uh, especially from Paul's letters, I need to probably pare it down to this. This makes the case that I'm trying to make, that Christians are clearly not under the law. We have a new covenant, a new way of relating to God, established by Jesus, the one who fulfilled the law. So, aha, there's your answer. Are Christians required to tithe? The answer is no. And I know some of you are probably like, oh, I don't know, Jerome. There's your answer. But before you skip out of here and say, ha-ha, I don't have to give anything. Once again, this is just God's word. I lay it out here the best I can. And you have to take it and apply it before the Lord and your conscience the best you can. Now let's read Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Read with me, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. This is Jesus teaching about the law. Don't misunderstand why I have come. 
I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me read verse 20 again. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the religious, or the religious law and the Pharisees. Verse 21. You have heard that your ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Skip with me to verse 27. So let me just stop real quick. 17 through 20, we see Jesus kind of say, here it is. There's a righteousness that's greater than that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, who we're going to see in a few moments in the next, verse, in the next passage we're going to look at, were meticulous about their tithe, but we're missing, we're missing it. Verse 27 then what Jesus does in verse, starting in verse 21 is he lays out, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. And some of these things that they've heard said were what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had said, the law said, even though it wasn't specifically in the law. But you shall not commit murder, definitely is. So he points to that. And he says, don't even be angry. Similarly, in verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. A better righteousness. Grace sets a higher standard. I know that kind of messes with us who think, oh, we don't have to follow these requirements because grace has freed us. Yes, it's freed us, but it also sets a higher standard. It isn't, it isn't for murder. No, no, don't even be angry. Don't even hate from adultery to just lustfully. Grace has a higher standard. We couldn't follow the law, and we honestly, this higher standard is why we need grace. So Christians are not bound by the law to tie the 10%. Christians are under grace and not to exceed the law. Just like not lusting exceeds not having an, an affair. Just like not being angry with your brother exceeds not murdering. One pastor I respect, many of you do too, Tim Keller, who was a pastor for a long time, Presbyter First Presbyterian or something like that, in, in New York City, uh, author, speaker, many of you are familiar with him. He said this when he has, he said, I often have church people come up to me and ask, is tithing required for the Christian? He says, and I look at them and I say, and I'll shake my head no. And they're like, whew, what a relief. And then he says this. But then I quickly add, and let me just read you the quote, because I want to get it right. I tell you why you don't see the tithing requirement laid out clearly in the New Testament. Think. 
Have we received more of God's revelation, truth, and grace than the Old Testament believers or less? Are we more debtors to grace than they were or less? Did Jesus tithe his life and blood to save or did he give it all? Tithing is the minimum standard for Christian believers. We certainly wouldn't want to be in a position of giving away less of our income than those who had so much less of an understanding of what God did to save them. So for him, tithing's kind of like the floor. So some of you who are concerned that my pastor doesn't believe tithing applies to us, what we just read is exceeds trying to apply the law where it doesn't apply. I believe in tithing. But tithing was replaced with something far greater, and we're going to see that here in a second. But if there's one thing I want you to get, because we read it just a few minutes ago, we serve God not out of an obligation to the law. We serve God because we have a new life in the Spirit. Christian tithing, Christian tithing, not Old Testament tithing. Christian tithing is not about obligation to an old law. It's about living a new life. Christian tithing is not obligation to an old law. It's about living a new life. Matthew 23, same book we're already in. You could turn to 23 if you like, or I could just tell you what's taking place. Jesus is actually confronting the Pharisees because they are tithing. Listen to this. Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. Okay, Jesus said you should tithe. That's probably good enough. We should just go home right there, right? You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. So once again, Jesus is scolding the Pharisees. They were focused on the meticulous detail of tithing, but neglecting justice, mercy, and faith. But in the course of correcting them, he does affirm the place of tithe. Not necessarily under the law, but that place of giving God first. Showing him that he is our provider. The things that we talked about when tithing was instituted, the things that were, 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 were talked about before tithing was even instituted in the law. God is our provider. That we step out in faith. That he is our priority. Paul writes about this generosity that takes place. Because when Jesus confronts the Pharisees about their meticulous tithing, but yet missing the point, which we as Christians can meticulously tithe and miss the point, right? He's calling out the fact that their giving was divorced from the rest of their life of faith, right? You've neglected mercy, justice, and faith. But giving out of a new life is different, and Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians if you'd like to turn there, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Just a little context here. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. That's why the book is called 2 Corinthians. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to brag on the church in Macedonia. Because we collected a gift for the believers in Jerusalem who are suffering, and they were generous. But listen to what he says about their generosity. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. 
what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I could testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more than they could afford. And they did it out of their own free will. Later on, in the same book, the very next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generosity will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God gives a person who gives, or for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty of leftover to share with others. The Old Testament commandment, the law, to tithe 10% has been replaced by a greater commandment, a higher righteousness, as we saw in chapter 5 of Matthew. There's a greater commandment than the tithe, the 10% that the law said. It's to live with generosity. I don't want to create a new law. But my personal conviction, and this is for me, not as your pastor, as me with my own checkbook, I kind of feel like 10% is the floor for generosity for my family. There's biblical precedent. We see 10% given way before the law with Abraham and Jacob. That's just me. And quite honestly, if I were really to do the, if I were really to crank out the numbers, I might question whether or not 10% of our family's income really is generous. Or is it just me saying, whew, I got in that number. <laughs> the greater commandment. Christian tithing is not about obligation to an old law. It's about living a new life. When I understand that 100% comes from God and belongs to him. That he's blessed me with the ability to enjoy it and to, to share it according to his instructions. Then I'm on the path of generous stewardship. Christian tithing is not, ob is not obligation to an old law. It's about living a new life. I'm trying really hard not to create a new law. I didn't say 10% is the new law, did I? I did not. But I believe there's biblical precedent. And so when I look at how I'm going to, to give, that's my floor. In no way does it have to be the ceiling. I don't believe it's supposed to be the ceiling. So if it's not about an old obligation to an old law, it's about living a new life. It's about living in the spirit. What do I do? My encouragement to you would be to take the next step from wherever you are when it comes to how you view your money and how you live out your faith. If you've not given anything ever, 
take the next step. What's the next step? It's not to tithe 50%. <laughs> Give something, and I would I would encourage you if we remember the definition of tithe last week, giving the first to God. Step out in faith and give that first portion to God. Set it apart as holy. It's set apart. If you give here and there as you feel led, as you thought, ah, then let don't don't let your feelings and your emotions and as I feel led guide your giving. Let God's word guide your giving generosity, the life of Christ in you and you in Christ exceeds the law. But maybe it's, it's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to set up a plan because generosity doesn't come overnight. You just don't say, I'm going to be generous from this point on. I could say, church, be generous, like as if that's easy, like I just turn a button on. It doesn't work that way. But maybe it's time to step out in faith and say, I'm going I'm to commit to the discipline of tithing, giving God the first. I'll let you and God work out the percentages. But giving to him first. To say, God, you're my provider. God, I pr- trust that you're going to take care of me. I trust that you will bless this and you'll help me manage the rest. You know what? After service last week, I had somebody walk up to me uh, and tell a story about when they felt God was wanting them to take that next step of faith. They felt like it's time to, to tithe. And, and the conversation went like this. You know, Jerome, I, I was like, God, uh, all the money that I have in my bank account is spoken for for paying bills and buying groceries. And you want me to do this? There's no increase. There's no new money coming in. But we began to take baby steps and to obey. And somehow, some way, like God provided, there was like more money. It felt like there was more money going out than was coming in. I'm not quite sure how that math works. That's kingdom math. That's one person in this congregation who had that story. But I, but I bet if I asked you to raise your hands, that story is repeated over and over and over again. Some of us have that auto give feature that I talked about last week set. We got our 10%. Some of us are like 10.5%, just a little extra for you, God. I mean, like, we don't think about ever, like, not giving that. But are we any different than the Pharisees and teachers of the law, so meticulous, figuring out what our, you know, what's our actual income based on, you know, or are we saying, God, I, I trust you. I want to be a part of what you are doing about the kingdom. I want to put you first. Maybe God's saying to you the next step isn't to stay comfortable, but it's to step out and live a life of generosity and joy like you've never experienced. And I guarantee you there's joy in that. Once again, I go back to this idea of the tithe from last week. It's giving God the first. Cultivate that. The percentages will follow. I promise if you cultivate that. 
we're going to close in a word of prayer. And my prayer is this. That you would live more tomorrow than you did today or yesterday with this new greater commandment to live with a radical generosity, with joy, directed by the Spirit. A generosity that flows from your life in Christ and his life in you. May we be a congregation who walks around with such joy. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming weeks. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to gather together to look at your word, the revelation of who you are through human history. In your word, we see your priorities. You see what you want for your people. God, I pray that you would help those of us who need a, a dose of faith to take that next step. For those of us who want to excuse away the voice of the Spirit, which is prompting us in this, even in this moment, God, would you help us experience all that you have for us, this life of generosity and joy, making you our priority putting you in first place in our heart, living on the edge where we have the requirement that we need faith to continue to go forward. We need to trust you. Forgive us for the idol of complacency and comfort that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.